You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. doesn't matter. God is still in the short things. (laughs) So chapter 25 of Matthew tells us the story of the 10 virgins. It's a parable that Jesus was teaching. These 10 virgins were going out to meet the bridegroom, but only five of them had brought extra oil with them. They had to wait for a long time for the groom to come, and verse 5 says that all of them fell asleep while they were waiting. Then at midnight, the call came to them saying, that the bridegroom was coming, and it was time to go and meet him. They all got up, and by the sounds of it, all of their lamps had gone out, because it says, then all of the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. But there were five of them who hadn't brought extra oil with them, and they couldn't light their lamps again. So they asked the five wise who had brought extra to share with them, but they were told to go buy for themselves. By the time they had got back, the marriage had already begun, and the door was shut, so they could not go in. The reason for the lamps was so, was so that when they met the bridegroom, that they could light his path and make sure that he got to the right house, and then they would go in with him. But the five ladies had grown indifferent to the job that they were given. They were slacking off a little bit. They still appeared to be ready for the groom. Their lamps were lit with the five others at first, too. Only now it was clear that they were no longer ready, and they had not prepared enough oil to do their job properly. And so they missed out on the marriage altogether. At the beginning of the parable, Jesus said that these ten virgins would be like the kingdom of heaven. And it's referring to us, the body of Christ. So we need to be careful not to become like the five who did not bring enough oil. Almost every part of our daily life drains us, little by little, conversations, jobs, friends, family, relationships that we have. It all adds up. And it's like in the natural, how we need to take care of ourselves every day, making sure that we sleep enough, that we drink plenty of water, and that we eat food that nourishes us and sustains us, gives us energy for the things that I mentioned before. So just like we take care of our physical being, we need to care for our spiritual being. We always have to make sure that we're taking enough oil to see us through our days, but not only just enough, We have to be overflowing with oil. Imagine that you are on the brink of starvation, and then all of a sudden, a feast appears before you. But you only take one bite, and then you walk away. Because you've had some, so you should be good now, right? No. What you really need is to sit down and eat a full meal. You could probably even fit some dessert in there. (laughs) And what has to happen is you have to keep going back to that feast every day. That's the way that you become healthy. That's the way that you give your body what it needs so it doesn't starve, so it doesn't die. And it's the same thing in the spiritual. We need to sit down in God's presence every day and drink in as much as we possibly can. We need to read and to study his word and to seek after his spirit. We cannot do a good morning and a good night and expect to be alive in Christ. I'm not even sure that that would be equivalent to one bite of the feast. 
but we need to take time for him because life is always busy and it always seems like we have no time to do the things that we need to do. But if we will square away that time for him, that time of day, and we will talk to him and just pour out our hearts and listen to him and sit in his presence and be filled by his spirit, it will be so much more worth whatever you sacrifice to take that time with him. You don't know what it could be worth. It could be worth your soul or your family's souls or your community or your city like you've been singing about. And I just want to say right now that I believe with you for this city. I believe with you for our country. I believe that Jesus is doing a work. I believe it. I claim it in his name. But like I said, you wouldn't really know what it's worth to have the oil of God or to be in his presence daily until it wasn't there or that you couldn't find him. And I'm not saying that God will ever be absent from you, especially if you're seeking after him. So it's the opposite, actually. But there are times when you feel completely disconnected. You can feel as empty as a bucket that's been sitting in the sun for 10 years, and it hasn't rained once. It's in those times that you can rely on the oil that you've stored up by having that personal and close relationship with Jesus, by taking that time with him. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Even in those times when we feel he isn't there or that he's not listening, he says that is when his strength is made perfect in us, in all of us. And verse 10 continues, For when I am weak, then I am strong. These times are inevitable. And you could be like the five wise virgins who brought extra oil, and when they needed it, they had it. Or you could be like the five virgins who slacked off a little bit. And when the time came for them, they were unable to light their lamps again. And they were unable to be a part of the marriage. You can go through things with God and feel like you've fallen down, but you're able to get back up again. Or you can go through something and not have anything to stand on and fall down and maybe not get back up. We can get to that place where maybe we wouldn't even realize that we are no longer making God a part of our lives anymore. In Judges 16, it says that Samson thought he would go out against the Philistines like he always had. But it says that he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Samson had become like the five virgins who had relaxed and gotten so comfortable that they didn't bring enough oil. Though he had gone out many times before and had had the victory over the Philistines, he did not have enough oil this time, and they captured him and they put him in prison. However, it says that finally, when his hair began to grow again, that he called unto God, and God heard his voice and answered Samson's final prayer. And I know this has been really short, and maybe it sounded a little hard or negative, but I've said all of this to share with you this verse, Micah 7 and 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, when the oil is just going down, when maybe my light is flickering a little bit, the Lord shall be a light unto me. He will restore me. He will pick me back up. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's the God that never fails. He picks us up. He's always faithful. If you rest in him, if you take that time with him, you're never going to fall. Your oil will always be full.
What a needed word. Thank you, Emily. God forbid God come back and our oil's not full. I don't want to go through even tomorrow without that oil being full. I don't want to go through tomorrow without having that time with the Master, that time at His table, that time of refreshing. Let us remember the oil. Uh, I'd like to start with uh, Matthew 27 and 26. That was fast. It says, Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. When they scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Makes me think of that song, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. We talk about the cross a lot. And we just kind of skip over it sometimes. But what happened at the cross? What did Jesus endure? What did his mother have to watch? What was the cost of our salvation? What was the cost of my freedom? The Bible doesn't go into a lot of detail. Matthew simply says they scourged him and crucified him. In Sunday school, they just say Jesus died for your sins. But what happened? What was the price of our freedom? What did our Lord endure in the process of becoming our Savior? When they'd scourged him, they delivered him to be crucified. The short sentence skips over hours of torment. But what happened? From the beginning, the Almighty God watched His creation spiral into chaos and violence and hatred. For hundreds of years, He watched the torment until it was too much to bear. Genesis 6, 12-13 says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted His way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God could no longer just sit back and watch the wickedness unfold, but thought it better to flood the entire earth and to start over, rather than let the suffering continue. And since then, God's been setting the stage to come Himself in the form of our Messiah. After years of sacrifices, thousands of animals, and thousands of years of our sins just being rolled back, Jesus came to truly wash us clean and to save us. But at what cost? I've never done this, but while I was studying, I found an article called The Medical Account of the Crucifixion. It was a little bit long, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'd like to go over a portion. Hanging, electrocution, kneecap, and gas chamber. These punishments are all feared, and they all happen today, and we shudder to think of the horror and the pain. 
But as we see, these ordeals pale into insignificance and compared to the bitter fate of Jesus Christ, crucifixion. When Jesus was praying in the garden, he knew what was going to happen to him. He was God Almighty, but he subjected himself to feel everything and every pain any man would ever feel. The only difference was that he was truly innocent. In the next few chapters, we see Jesus betrayed by Judas, arrested by the chief priests, abandoned by his closest disciples, and even denied by Peter. Jesus was alone. On top of that, Jesus was taken in the middle of the night to an illegal trial and tormented all through it until his fate was finally decided. This article goes on to say, a man to be flogged was stripped of his clothes, his hand tied to a post above his head, and he was whipped across the shoulders, back, buttocks, thighs, and legs. The soldier standing beside to one side of the victim. The whip used was decided to make this a devastating punishment, bringing the victim close to death. Several short, heavy leather thongs Two small balls of lead or iron attached near the end of each. Pieces of sheep's bone were sometimes included. As the scourging proceeds, a heavy leather pieces produced superficial cuts and then deeper damage to underlying tissues. Bleeding becomes severe as not only capillaries and veins are cut, but also arteries and the underlying muscles. These small metal balls first produce large, deep bruises which were broken open by further blows. The fragment of sheep's bone ripped the flesh as the whip is drawn back. When the beatings finish, the skin of the back is in ribbons, and the entire area is torn and bleeding. Just to put this in perspective, a judicial punishment in Singapore called caning can be a maximum of 24 strokes and this can leave the victim changed forever. And that's just a piece of bamboo. What Jesus endured was a strap with bones and metal attached to it with at least 39 lashes. And then he was mocked with no time to recover, made to stand, dressed in a robe with a crown of thorns on his head to complete the parody, was given a wooden scepter and hit over the head with it. These thorns were driven into his scalp, producing profuse bleeding. But this wasn't as bad as the wounds reopened when they took the robe off his back. Then he was led away to be executed. The wooden cross used by the Romans was too heavy to be carried by one man. So instead they would carry the crossbar. Carrying outside the city walls, Jesus was unable to carry this load a beam weighing around 75 to 125 pounds. He collapsed under the weight, and an onlooker took it for him. Then he was thrown down on his back, his arms outstretched along the crossbar, where nails were driven into the wood. These iron spikes about six inches long and three-eighths of an inch thick cut the median nerve, causing severe excruciating pain in both arms, carefully placed between bones and ligaments, but they were able to bear the full weight of the crucified man. Jesus was lifted up 
and the crossbar fixed into the post. His legs were bent at a knee and a nail was driven through each ankle. Again, there was severe nerve damage causing intense pain. The executioner would take care so that his death would be slower and the suffering longer. Now nailed to the cross, the real horror of crucifixion began. Hanging in this position, unable to properly get a full breath, he'd have to lift himself up, rubbing his back across this rough wood, this old rugged cross. Obviously this was unbearable. And then he'd slump down again in a terrible cycle of pain. For the sake of time, I'm skipping through a lot of this. This is the torture that my Jesus endured on that day at Calvary. It's hard to imagine, but this is what it cost to set me free. This is what our salvation costs. This is what deliverance costs. And I wonder if the music could come back. On that day that Jesus died, that day that our sins were nailed to that cross, at that moment that the veil tore, this was the moment that everything changed. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just thank Him for a moment? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And it took out of the way, nailing it to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. So what happened at the cross? Victory. Victory is what happened at the cross. And whatever you need today was accomplished at the cross that day way back at Calvary. Jonathan preached today about faith and asked if anyone had a need would come to the altar. I don't believe that God was finished this morning. If you have a need today, I'd invite you to come to the altar. If you have a need today, there is still power. There is power in the blood. Power in the blood of Jesus Christ to save and to heal and to set free. Power to deliver. Power to deliver from addiction. Power to deliver from depression and anxiety. At the name of Jesus Christ, it must flee. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed Isaiah prophesied it and Peter confirmed it there's healing in the blood of Jesus today there's salvation in that blood there's freedom from sin if you would I'd like to invite you down to this altar right now have you ever wondered if you've gone too far, if you've been too bad to be saved, that you've been sick too long to be healed, 
I want to tell somebody today that his sacrifice is sufficient. The work that Jesus Christ did on Calvary is sufficient to wash your sins away, to heal you, to give you new life. New life is waiting in his blood and in his name. There's resurrection today. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.